I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across MLS, Europe, or wherever else they play their club football. On today's show, we're going to preview the U-20 World Cup, which starts this Saturday, May 20th. The U.S. plays their first match against Ecuador on Saturday afternoon, and then we'll play their other two group stage matches against Fiji on May 23rd and Slovakia on May 26th. To help me with this U-20 World Cup preview, I've invited Brian Shredda to join the show. Inviting Brian was a pretty easy call. Ever since I've known him, he's been talking about the U.S. U-20 team and has been following them closely throughout this entire World Cup cycle. Brian is a writer at American Soccer Now. His work also appears in various newspapers across the country, and he's a frequent guest on Talk Sport and Sirius XM. Brian, it's great to have you for the second time on Here and Abroad. Welcome back to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Frank. I appreciate it. Yeah, so as I mentioned, you're somebody that's been following the the U-20s for a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, 07 was my first. Wow, wow. With them. So yeah, it goes back. So I want to just tap into your memory bank a little bit. Can you just remind folks how the U.S. performed at the last U-20 World Cup in 2019? And then, you know, um, what have been some of the moments that have stood out to you as they've gone through this current cycle? Well, I mean, they're coming off a quarterfinal run in 2019. Uh, it was their third straight quarterfinal run, and it concluded Tab Ramos's tenure. And then uh, they only got one camp into the next cycle before COVID shut it down, and they canceled the World Cup. Uh, you know, this cycle has been good. No matter what happens um, at the U20 World Cup, it's been a very productive cycle because CONCACAF decided to um, – make this uh, part of Olympic qualifying as well. And uh, the team has qualified for the Olympics um, and ended the drought, which has gone back to 2008. So the US U23 team will be able to participate in the, in the, in the Olympics. I will be over there covering them. Uh, and that's because this team performed so well last summer at the CONCACAF tournament. So it's, um you know, now they're going to go down to Argentina with, um, you know, not their best roster. Um, no one's no no team is going to have their best roster. It's been a nightmare for coaches to get all these players released. But overall, I think it, it, you know Mikey Varas has done about as good of a job as he possibly could. You know, getting together this team and seeking out their releases. Yeah, let's talk about one of those players who isn't going. Paxton Aronson uh, did not get released by his club in Germany. He scored seven goals in route to winning the CONCACAF U-20 championships. He won the Golden Boot and Ball Awards. Would he have been considered the best player on this team if he had gone? Uh, quite possibly. You know, I think um, the U.S. U-20 team has never really had Paxton and um, Kevin Paredes, uh, you know, full force in, in a major tournament. You know, Kevin was not at the CONCACAF tournament last year. But yeah, I think he, you know, Paxton has been um, really the engine of this team, as have all the Philadelphia Union produced players. Um, you know, and he was with the Union when he when he was performing so well. Those players have all been the front and center core of this team. So yeah, you know, it's tough to predict a, a, a deep U.S. run without him because this team has never really been challenged without him. But you know we'll we'll see how how they put the you know how they do. I think the big story from the roster is is, is that Mikey Varas is um, 
uh, is gam not gambling, but really taking some calculated risks. You know, he's holding two spots open for players, Rokas Butas and um, Kevin Paredes, to join after the group stages of the tournament. He's electing to go with uh, Nico Sakaris, who's an 05, meaning he's playing up a cycle, born in 2005, even though he only recently returned to being healthy after a long injury to start the season with San Jose. So he's going to go into this team, you know, essentially, you know, two open spots, one spot with a guy who's questionable, and then Cade Cal, who's suspended for the opening game because of the, the, the post-game brawl <laughs> that the U.S. team had with Costa Rica in qualifying last year. That extends into a World Cup. So there's, not a, like, there's a lot of spots that are, um, that are open. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, he's banking that they get through the group stage and then that then reinforcements will be there and maybe Sakaris will be a little bit further along in his recovery, that everything will be better come the knockouts. So, it, it, you know, the player pool has changed a little bit over the time, but so he's, you know, there's been some players who've played their way off the team. So the, with that being said, that's, that's why he's kind of taking some of these risks. Right. So let's talk about that roster a little bit more. It's 21 players. Who are some of the the players you're most excited to watch in this tournament? Yeah. I mean, obviously Paredes, you know, they have to get through the tournament. They have to get through the knockouts. I think he's the most talented player on the team, but he won't be there until the knockouts. I think Caleb Wiley's going to be the most scouted player there because, you know, he's, he's with Atlanta. He's, he's got size and athleticism to really get up and down that um, left side. You know, he's going to have to play in the wing. I think he's probably going to start the first game on the wing and then maybe move to left back. But he's a guy who I just think has got really good athleticism. He checks a lot of boxes for that modern fullback position. You know, Josh Widener is one of the best 05s around. He's going to be joining Benfica after this tournament, and he's from Louisville City. Another really good center back. But, you know, look, he's, he's another one of the keys to the success. Is he going to be able to, you know – move from like being off this team as recently as the start of this year to being a starter at the world cup while playing up a cycle. That's a lot to ask. So, but he, he's, he's a guy I think has, is one of the keys to the success of this team. I think uh, Dan Edelman was terrific over the weekend for the New York Red Bulls against um, New York city FC. They didn't, they wouldn't have won that game without him. A very good defensive midfield um, performance. And then, you know, Owen Wolf is another one who's kind of rose up lately, but he's going to have to be a key to that midfield again because that, that group has changed a lot. Him and McGlynn, I think, are going to be asked to do a lot. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward also to watching Darren Yappy because this team has not played with number nine for long stretches of this cycle. And, and they're including a number nine, a solid number nine to start this, to, uh, for this tournament. You know, and, and they're going to try to hope that some of the goals that they're going to lose from Paxton, who kind of played a false nine, are going to be made up in an actual nine. So those are some of the players uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching. And obviously, Diego Luna is kind of like this X-Factor kind of a guy, exciting guy off the bench, make some plays happen, create some goals here and there. I, don't think he's, he, I, think he's, I think his minutes are going to be limited, but he's the kind of guy who can hurt you in those limited minutes. So that's, that's kind of the, where I see some of the things to watch in this tournament for the U.S. team. Yeah, I got to ask you a follow-up about Owen Wolf. Uh, I'm here in Austin, Austin FC fan. Has he been part of this cycle for very long, or is he relatively new to, to joining the team? He's, 
I mean, his brother was part of the qualifying team last year. One of the more distant guys on the bench. But Owen really didn't emerge until late the cycle. Also, because he's he's young. Um, he's a late 04. So he's only, I think, like a week or so from being eligible for the next cycle. So, you know, with those young players that young, it takes sometimes it takes a little while for him to to, to emerge. And then you have a with Austin FC, you have a, a dad who's played for the U.S. team and, and really understand what it's all about. Wouldn't hesitate in releasing those players. And look, I think you also have to look at the guys who've played their way off the team. You know, Caden Clark was considered to be kind of like a guy many people hoped to, to have been a big part of this team. But, you know, his move to Germany hasn't gone well. He hasn't played a game in eight months now. And that's just not good enough, I think, to, to put yourself in a position to help a World Cup team. I think he's talented. but And then other ones, Alejandro Alvarado, he was a big part of the qualifying team. You know, he had a really mess of a season in Portugal at Vizela, rarely played, and then he had a couple really tough U.S. camps So um, since the, the qualifying. So when you combine all that, the team needed really big changes in the midfield. And I think something like that opened up the door for a guy like, um, you know, Owen Wolf. And, you know, I thought it was, you know, there could have been a chance there for, um, you know, Noel Buck and Ben Kramashi. But, uh, you know, I think Owen's done okay for, for Austin. And, you know, I think this is going to be a really good opportunity for him. Yeah. I've noticed a big change in his performance from last season to this season. So yeah, um, I hope he, uh, I hope he uh, shows his stuff. At the, at the yeah, world. I think it's going to be fun to watch. He's, he's, he's going to get minutes. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned how in 2019 the U.S. Uh, U20s made it to the quarterfinals. I was uh, reading a little bit about that match today. They fell two one to Ecuador. The goal for the U.S. came from Tim Weah. So that got me thinking about. Obviously, Tim Weah has graduated to the uh, senior national team, scored a goal at the World Cup, and most I don't know. I would consider him um, kind of a penciled-in starter anytime he's he's on the roster. When you look at this this U twenty roster, who are the players that we should be watching that that you think have a realistic chance to potentially make that twenty twenty six World Cup roster for the U S men's national team? Yeah, look, it becomes harder to do that over time. I think people, like when they look at those U20 rosters, particularly 2019 and even a little bit in 17 U20 teams, the, you know, they, they think that there's always a lot of U20 players that move up to the full national team where they do so right away. Like it's going to take some time for people to adjust to like what is normal because in 2019, the U.S. was still fresh off of not qualifying for the World Cup um, in Russia. And what they did was, is they, 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 they there's a mass exodus from the team. Like a lot of guys were just were removed off the team. And then the Sarakin and then followed by Burhalter, the, the, the approach was let's just bring in as many new guys as possible. Let's go young and let's just start, you know, moving out, moving away from a large number of players. And that's not going to be the case really moving forward because all these guys who are there in 2022. I mean, with the exception of like a couple of guys who are like over 30, like Tim Ream and, and, and those guys, those guys aren't going anywhere like Dest and, you know, you know, and then you have a guy, some guys like Chris Richards who are good, who would have been on the team, but he's just injured a lot. So there's fewer, fewer spots now. And now the progression now is going to be U20s and then maybe U23s if you're of that age group. Then it's going to be some, then it's going to be like a, 
like a couple of years of really focusing on club ball before you're really folk brought into the full national team, right? So in terms of guys who are going to be fresh, ready for the U.S. national team, like right after this U-20 World Cup team, um, I think Paredes like, has probably the best chance of, this group, of the players strictly on this roster. Remember, Ricardo Pepe's eligible for this team. He's just already moved on. So you already have one there graduated to the full team. Paredes looks like the next one. And then, you know, it's going to take some time. I think Wiley can get there. And then after that, it's going to be a waiting game for just about everybody else. Um, maybe Paxton, because I know he's not on this team. He might have a, a role to play maybe the following year if he continues to show some steady progress at Eintracht. And obviously, Gaga Slonina is going to need to get first team minutes. He's got that ability, but goalkeepers sometimes they don't mature. They don't even start thinking about them until national team ready until they're in their mid twenties. So yeah, that's going to be you know the rest of those guys. It's going to it's going to they're then going to return to their clubs, and then it's just going to be a slog you know to get back internationally. We might we might not see them representing the U.S. again for for, for a couple of years. Some of these guys might then really have to shift focus to the Olympic team next year and then and then from there you see where it goes but i don't see besides paredes and then maybe wiley you know because there's always a need at left back but then again there's there's plenty of other options there too i don't see that jump in the immediate future for too many of these guys and that's again that's that's the normal way got it okay let's look at the us's group first up for them is ecuador on saturday what do you know about Ecuador, and how do you see that matchup for the U.S.? Yeah, again, you know, I think it's gonna they're gonna be shorthanded now because you know you're already dealing without Paredes and Puch, and Puktas, and then Cade Cowell who's suspended, and and you probably aren't going to be able to start Sakaris. You know, so it's a limited. Um, you know, they're going to need a lot out of their starters for this game. I think Ecuador comes in here. Qualifying from South America is is not easy, and uh, you know they, they were able to do so. I mean, look, Argentina failed to qualify, and then and then all of a sudden they rewarded the last minute hosting rights, so they were able to bring their team in. But that just kind of shows you the um, you know how tough this qualifying tournament is. So they're always good at this level. Their U twenty team is um, is good and. I think that this is going to be one where, look, if the U.S. can grind out a result, a draw, you know, they're going to be um, – if they can get a draw, I'd be impressed with that. I mean, I know Ecuador finished fourth and stuff like that, but still they were they were in all these games. And um, I think that's going to be – it's going to be a tough – it's going to be a tough tournament for them. It's going to be, it's going to be a good – they're going to be a, they're going to be a team that could, that could surprise and get some big results here and there. Yeah, I mean, they seem to be a footballing nation – kind of on the rise. I mean, when you look at their senior team, they pretty easily qualified for the World Cup. You know, it was mm-hmm. like Argentina and Brazil up here. Then Ecuador was kind of by themselves. And then it was a fight for that, like, fourth, fourth and fifth places. Um, but well, they look, got it pretty easily. Well, you know, in, in, look, it was it, what was impressive about them was was in their qualifying tournament. Was all right, So you had these two groups, and then... Uh, and group A and Group B, and then they go in and they make a final group of six teams, uh, and then there's a round robin there, one game each, and that, and then the top four go. 
and they lost their first three games. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, yeah, they lost to, they lost to Brazil and then they, then they lose to Uruguay and then they, and then they lose to Colombia, all close games, but then, and then they rallied to, to draw Venezuela. They would have been eliminated, but they got a, they got a, a stoppage time goal in that, in that fifth game, fourth game. And then the fifth game, they, they beat Paraguay and they needed to win that for that game. So they dramatically kind of snuck in there, but you know, they're fighters and now they're playing in South America. I think they're going to be pretty comfortable, you know? So yeah, I think the U S team, it depends on how they rally, you know, being shorthanded and and with the group that Varus has, I'm interested to see how training goes this week. But um, I think um, a draw, they, they're a draw. They're in excellent shape. Yeah, so their other two group opponents, Fiji and Slovakia, what's your thoughts on them? Well, people keep talking about the Fiji game like it's kind of an afterthought, and I can kind of understand why. I mean, they, they, they don't, I mean, the Oceania tournament was a mess. Like teams like forfeited, and some teams advanced because other teams didn't show up and got 3-0. One team didn't advance because they needed to – win by like a four goal margin and like they were only awarded a three goal margin when the other team didn't show up it was you know it it was wild like it was beyond CONCACAF wild but here's the thing with Fiji though like with the U20 World Cup four of the six third place teams advance the U.S. was drawn with a minnow in Fiji and that's a golden ticket when you're in one of these third place advancing kind of tournaments because the other teams are in other groups are in ones where it's all the teams are good, all the teams are competitive. So what usually third place, three points is gets you into third place, right? And and a good goal differential with three points is almost good enough to always advance. So with the U.S. team, I think advancing if they lose closely to Slovakia and Ecuador, and then they just go in and they pound Fiji. That's probably going to be enough to advance. So I think they just got to go up there and just rock Fiji, and then, then I think they're in good shape to advance. You know, Slovakia is not as another team that was like Ecuador, qualified through the skin of their teeth in Europe. Like they they had to go to the to to the playoff, and then they I think it was against Austria when they kind of got by at the end. Um, but you know those. Those Eastern European teams can be tough in, in U20 World Cups. Like, I mean, Ukraine won it. I mean, I remember the, uh, the before that, you know, I remember the U.S. having tough times with games against, you know, other years, Eastern European teams at, the, at these tournaments. So, you know, I think it's uh, – but by that point, you know, you hope the U.S. team has learned a little bit and that maybe they have some momentum after Fiji, after playing Fiji. But I think that, that you know, getting a result – one result against uh, the other two teams, and then a result, then a win over Fiji, gets them in, and then they get the reinforcements coming in, like Paredes and Puktas, and I think that that makes the team better from the knockouts. So we'll see. I, I look, I, I think the U.S. team has the ability to win one of those two games, but I think drawing Fiji and then just being able to take care of business is the ticket for advancing. And then, and obviously, if they can win, beat, win, beat Ecuador in that first game, then they're in absolutely fantastic shape to perhaps even win the group. Okay. So let's, let's get some predictions then. Where do you think they're going to finish in the group? I I'm predicting a win in two draws. So that would get them to five points. And, um, 
probably a second place finish. Okay. And then how far do you see them going in the knockout round? Well, let's see. So a second place finish puts them against what is their corresponding group um, in the knockouts here. And I'm fumbling with it here. So second in they're in group B. So second in B would play the runner up in group F. And then so that would be France, South Korea, Gambia, or Honduras. And you do not want. <laughs> Hopefully, France doesn't slip. Yeah, up. <laughs> yeah. And, and South Korea, you know, they're they're a good team there too. So, uh, yeah, you don't want France to slip. Up. Although France, that's the thing is like I don't know if you followed Fr- France's um, roster selection, but it was an absolute nightmare to, for them to put together their team. They had twenty eight player requests denied release, denied releases. U.S. is. You know, we, everyone, everyone's talking about, well, Aronson and Gutierrez and, you know, those are the, you know, were denied releases and, and that's bad. Like France had 28 players and then, but it got so bad that like, it wasn't even just star players in Ligue 1 and stuff. Like one French team, a, a, you know, Paris FC, which is in the second tier, League 2, they didn't release one of their players who plays on their reserve team. So this is the reserve team of a League 2 team because their reserve team is in a relegation fight. So they didn't even release a play. So like France is not their 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 roster was decimated for this tournament. So you know you don't necessarily know what's where where you read, and they were great in qualifying. So I don't know where they read. So yeah, it's uh, it could be it could be um, it could be France. I don't know. So it, it comes down to the knockouts. I think the U.S. team will be in a better position. It comes down to luck. I, I think round of sixteen. And an exit from there is probably the most likely. But then if they get, you never know. Another quarterfinal bounce, you know, good bounce could could get them back into the quarters. They've needed luck to get to the quarterfinals run before in the past. So we'll see if they need it again. And then aside from the U.S., do you have a favorite to win it all? Oh, man. I, you know, I, I, have to, I have to take some time and examine more about who – is going who's going to get released? I think Argentina is going to go from one of these teams that didn't qualify to now qualifying to now being the host to playing at home. It's going to be such a boost for them. Yeah, and they got such a great draw, like Uzbekistan, Guatemala, New Zealand. I mean, they're going to be coasting through there, and then yeah, I think that if they win it again, it would just be like the best FIFA story ever for them not to just to be awarded this t- this tournament last wild. minute to host. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you can't not predict that. So <laughs> because it, it would just, just to make FIFA look bad. So yeah, I'm going to go with um, Argentina. Okay. Well, Brian, this has nothing to do with uh, U 20 world cup, but I know, think I know where we're going. <laughs> we're recording this on Tuesday and I know this morning I woke up and was just casually <laughs> browsing the internet and saw Flo Balogun is, is now a member of the USMNT. Uh, so initial thoughts on hearing that news today. Yeah, it raises the bar in terms of, uh, you know, what the team's capable of and the, expect- the expectations to make the team. You know, I think um, it's one of these things where you, you never want to predict that this guy's so, I mean, while he's in his first real breakout season, that he's going to be, you know, this superstar for, for a long period of time, you know, you hope that's the case because it would be just a big boost for the U S team. But I think it's, 
it's going to be a it's going to help it's going to obviously help the team's potential in a needed position what i would like to see is maybe it helps it makes ricardo pepe and other forwards have to be better too and then you want to see balogun eventually get pushed too um to have to be better and and, and that's how this system goes is to for everyone pushing each other everyone making each other better you don't want to i don't i think it's a mistake to pencil this guy in to be a superstar for like um you know years to come i mean I know he's done more than Julian Green did, but that was the enthusiasm when Julian Green was you know, made the switch. Was that he was going to be there forever? I think he's you know it, it, it's it's good, and you want to see how he adjusts into the team, both on the field and off the field. That's equally important because uh, you want the you, you want that camaraderie that the U.S. team has, which is, I think is a big strength of theirs, to still be the case, just to still carry the team forward. But look, the U.S. team still has a lot of problems. People are coming off of tough seasons. You know, you still haven't seen enough from Musa and McKenney and you know, and Tim Weah and Pulisic. It's, it's it's been a tough season for so many players that you know he's this guy's not going to come in and fix it either. You hope it takes the, the pressure off of those guys. Uh, it's a obviously it's a massive win for the U.S. team, but uh, it's a massive gain. But it's a long term project and. There's going to be speed bumps along the way, and you just don't want people to, you know, to just to get their expectations out of order. Look, we've seen a lot of players on this current team have gone from superstars to just to really struggling. I mean, who would have thought Dest is going is going to go a whole season pretty much without playing? So fortunes can change really quickly, you know, and you just got to be prepared for that. But you just want this to hopefully make everyone else better. And other players, let's say, who are adversely affected maybe by this split individually, like a guy like, like I said, like Ricardo Pepe, who many people thought was going to be starting against Mexico uh, next month. That's probably unlikely now. But now you want to see Pepe get better and push himself and everyone push themselves to, to get better and, and make Balogun have to get better too. That's how this thing works. And uh, But it's obviously a nice big pickup for the team and we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. Yeah, seeing... How Ricardo Pepe handles this is probably what I'm uh, most curious about. I, I feel like he's going to be a little kind of pissed off, you know, and have a chip on his shoulder about it. And I hope he takes that, and I think he will, and uses that as fuel to help him become kind of a better player and, and you know, fight for the job. It'll be really yeah. interesting to see. What happens if a guy like, you know, Brandon Vasquez, who we know, like, you know, Borussia Mönchengladbach's looking after him. But what happens if that deal gets forward and, he goes to Germany and, and scores a couple goals. You know, it's like, you know, th- things can change quickly in this too. But yeah, you want you want people to play with a chip on their shoulders, but still be supportive, but not coming with a bad attitude. You know, that's right. It's a it's a it's a tricky combination, really, isn't it? And you don't want like you know you don't want like Pe- Pepe to think like, well, everything's just been handed to this guy, and he's never spent any time with this team. You know, I mean, look, it's this is soccer. That's how it goes. You know, the best people play. But, you know, he, this guy still has to prove that he can combine with everybody else and, and, and be a useful part of the equation. And, uh, and then, you know, I, again, like I said, it's, um, he's doing great this year. It doesn't mean he's going to be great next year. Um, things change. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's yeah. – it, 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 but, it, like, obviously it just increases the – you know, it, it's like logs in the fire, you know, you, you, or lottery tickets. You play it enough times, more and not more options. It's a numbers game. The, the more options you have – in your tools in your tool belt, the more something's going to be working at any given time. But obviously, this is—it's a big pickup. He scored more goals than 
any other player, all the other Americans in the big five European leagues have this year combined. So, you know, that, that's just a big, you know, a big ad for the team, um, at least at this moment in time. And, and it's up to him now to, to keep working because it's not always going to be handed to him. He's going to have to keep producing to, to come in. And you hope that he's going into that with this expectation. The only other thing I want to say about this is that this was England blew it really with this guy. You know, I think they thought he was above them or they, they were like, he wasn't good enough for them. But like a 21-year-old a producing like nearly 20 goals in a big five league should always have access to like the first team national team coach and, and at least feel like he's part of the pool. Even if he's not good enough, even if you're a great national team, like a guy, like a guy scoring doing what Balogun's doing, if he was Argentine, he would at least be in the talking to the coaching staff in Argentina or Brazil. Like they would always be talking to him as if he's one of the guys in their pool. You know, a guy like that's could potentially be very big. But like England, when, when Balogun was flirting with the U.S., they would send their U21 coach to go talk with them. And, and they kind of really made him detached from the full national team player pool. I think if Southgate was over there talking to Balogun, um, it's one thing if Southgate didn't think he was ready yet or he wanted to have one full season before they called him up. I mean, one thing, but if Southgate was the one talking with them, flying over, visiting them, telling them to be patient, I think he would have remained with England. I think England really dropped the ball on this one too, and, and the U.S. Uh, did a good job picking it up because, look, I mean, the U.S. can't sell them on a long-term vision when they have a when they have an interim head coach. But I think it was, uh, you know, it was a really big case of textbook thing of, um, uh, you know, if, if, if Balogun becomes huge, England will really have to question why they didn't like just uh, how they how they handled this so poorly because I think. He's not a he's not a player where like they should just completely just you know blow off. I mean that's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, we will see how it plays out, Brian. Thanks again for joining the show. For people who want to see more of your work or learn more about you, where should they go? Um, you can always go on to uh, you know American Soccer Now um, over at Soccer America and and every. You know, usually Tuesday mornings. This week it'll be Wednesday morning. I'm over at uh, Sirius XM uh, doing a weekly segment. Uh, so it's uh, I'm always around, but go always go find on Twitter because I'm always telling everyone where they can read some of my stuff. Thanks, Brian. Thank you very much, Frank. And thanks to everyone for listening to Here and Abroad. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a fellow USMNT fan. I'm Frank Garza, and I'll be back next week with a new episode.